stand this morning as we worship together.
Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you that this morning you love us and care for us. We, we thank you that we belong to you. And God, we just pray that as we gather here this morning, that our hearts would be prepared to worship you. God, that you would forgive us where we have failed you this week. God, you would correct us where we have gone astray. God, that you would show us your love and compassion, that we would, God, we would know the presence of your Spirit among us. And that, God, by doing so, we would be able to worship this morning in spirit and in truth. God, I, I would just ask that you would be with those this morning who are sick. God, we know that that throughout this room there are burdens because of illness. And God, we would just ask that you would help, that you would heal, that you would comfort those who are struggling. God, we, we ask that you would help those who have been hurting through this pandemic. God, we know that with everything that has went on, there are, are lives that have been broken, there have been those who have experienced loss. God, there are relationships that have been destroyed. God, we know that even this morning there are many who have given no thought to worship, have given no thought to following you during this time. God, we just pray that you would prick their heart. God, that you would convict them God, you would remind them of the desperate need that they have to worship you and you alone. God, I pray that through all of this, you would strengthen your church. That we would be reminded of how frail we are. And that God, you would, God, turn our hearts back to you. That you would remind our nation and our community, God, that you sit on your throne. And you and you alone are in control. And so God, we praise you for that this morning. That you, God, you are the great healer and comforter. God, you are the one who sets all things right. And God, we praise you for that this morning. Lead us as we worship. Guide our words and our giving. God, I pray that you would guide the preaching of your word. And we pray this in Christ's name.
thank you and praise you that so long ago you gave us a way, a way that we could be one with you, Father God, that we could cast every care that we have upon you, that you would instantly know and understand, Father God, that we have this gift to be able to commune with the creator of the world, and yet how often we forget and we try to do things on our own. We don't take everything that we have, Father God, and bring it to you in prayer. So this morning, Father God, we pray that you would help us to be people who listen, Father God, to be people who want to do your will, Father God, who want to learn what you have for our lives, Father God, that we would take that and that we would use that, Father, in a way that changes this world dramatically, Father God, that changes our lives, that allows us to be kingdom-mindful people, Father God, that we are about your will, Father God, and about your desires. Father God, help us this morning just to, to be mindful, Father God, that we would focus on your word, that we would focus on your message for us. We love you and we worship you, and it's in your son's holy name we pray. Amen. Y'all may be seated.
All right, the kids can come on for Children's Church. Going right here with Pastor Alex. Sorry, Pastor Lore. Pastor Alex is over here. You're welcome to go if you want. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. We are moving on uh, quickly toward the halfway point of the book of Acts. And uh, I say quickly, we started in October, so maybe it doesn't seem to be that quickly. Uh, but it is a, a, a lengthy book, certainly, um, but I think has been a very appropriate one as we uh, have been thinking in many ways about uh, the church and what the church will look like um, after uh, this moment, I think for, for many of us, it's hard to really gauge the fact that, that at least in the history of our own nation, uh, this last year will be one of those things that go in the history book and, and is marked down and that people will look at and, and remember. Um, not necessarily for uh, all of the, the bad things, uh, but just for the fact that it has, has changed um, the, the culture of our country uh, in many ways. And uh, maybe some of those will be uh, for the good, but there is no doubt uh, that quite a few of them have been uh, not good in all that has happened. And so um, as we, we think about that, I think this past year, I mean this past week was the, the one year since the first uh, COVID case in in North Carolina, and that uh, that 14 days has really stretched out a lot longer than uh, I think uh, we thought it would. And so, uh, so Acts is an appropriate place because, in many ways, um, there will be lots of churches uh, that are at a point of uh, restarting. Um, the numbers coming from Lifeway Research are are really disheartening. Um, most churches, or not most, but, but close to half of the churches will be half the size they were uh, when this is over and are already there. And it's not um, just from people who decide they're going to try something else out, uh, but it's from huge numbers of people who were faithful to their church before COVID, and there seems to be no indication they will be faithful after COVID. Uh, and that is an amazing thing to think about, um, that the virus has so changed people's lives uh, that they will no longer gather with a local church. And, um, and so it's a, it's a frightening proposition uh, for the church across um, the world. What is amazing, though, is uh, when we look at our own Baptist convention, uh, for the first two months of this year, the giving has been stronger than the first two months of last year. Now, if you think about that, there was no virus the first two months of last year. There was no COVID. Uh, it was still in China. No one was thinking about it. No one was planning for it. And now through two months, the giving is already stronger. And so there's some positives coming out even uh, among the negative. Psalm chapter 11 as we're thinking about Psalm chapter 11, 
This morning we're going to think about the idea of truth. And it's, it's not that we haven't examined that idea before in the book of Acts, because we most certainly have. But as we look at our passage this morning, we see how the truth begins to put things in perspective. And the Bible is greatly concerned with truth. Our world is concerned with truth or the lack thereof, but the Bible is certainly concerned with truth. We have passages like this from Psalm 15. The psalmist says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? This is the person. He who walks blameless and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart and does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up a reproach against his friend. We want to be that person, right, who dwells in the, the holy hill of the Lord, who lives in the Lord's tent, in the Lord's dwelling place. And so one of those characteristics of that person is one who speaks truth in his heart. Or maybe a passage more familiar to us. Jesus says this in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The Scriptures put great value on the truth. And the Scriptures put great value on us both knowing the truth and speaking the truth with clarity. Proverbs 18.13 says this, If anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. The truth. The truth is important. The truth sets us free. And so let's think about the truth as we stand together and read Acts 11, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says this, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent from Caesarea, and the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Lord 
as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. You may be seated. What is true? What is the truth? We'll remember that many of these events have already been communicated to us in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we we encountered Cornelius, the the Gentile centurion who lived in Caesarea. And the angel came to him and and told him to to send someone or to go himself to Joppa and to send for a man named Simon Peter. He was going to be at a, a certain house at a certain place, and so he did just that. And while the men were traveling to to pick up Peter or talk to Peter, Peter himself was having this, this vision in this trance where where he saw this strange image of something like a a sheet being lowered down, and on top of it were all of these animals that were there. And he was told to take them, to to kill them or sacrifice them, and eat. And he was shocked by this and and really wanted nothing to do with it. Because he said, these these animals are unclean. These are not ones that, that I would ever eat. This is not the type of of sacrifice that I would ever make. It's something that is, that is uncommon. And yet God, God told him, don't say about these things they are they're unclean. Don't say about these things they're not worthy. Because I, God says, I have declared them to be worthy. You, you have no reason, you have no role in saying that something is unclean that I have declared to be clean. And Peter is perplexed by this. He's he's unsure of what it means, we find out, until those men show up and they they come in and they tell the story of what has happened. And when they come in, Peter goes with them and he returns with them to Caesarea. And when he arrives in Caesarea, he finds Cornelius and his family and his friends and they are ready to hear about God. They're ready to hear what God has to say. And so Peter, though he is uncertain, because remember, this has never happened before. It's kind of like the the old Baptist church saying, we've we've never done it that way before. The carpet's always been this color. The music's always been this, whatever it is. Peter said, we've not done this before, but but God said to do it, so I'm going to give it a try. And so he goes in. And as he is preaching, not when he's finished and not when he's given his invitation and and all of his points are done, but as he is preaching, the Spirit of God falls upon them. The Spirit of God falls upon them and the people there are radically changed. And this was not a story that could be kept quiet. Peter, we're told at the end of chapter 10, stays there for a few days. And as he is staying there, the word begins to spread. And when we get to chapter 11, our text this morning, Peter Peter meets some opposition. 
You would think that, that all of this, this good news being spread, that, that the Gentiles also had received the Word of God, as we see in verse 1, would be great news. And yet, we should not be surprised that it wasn't good news. For one thing, they, they didn't have the whole story, right? And this is the first thing we, we see. When the truth is unclear, divisions arise. At a moment that should have been a time of celebration, and had been a time of celebration for Cornelius and his family and the Gentiles who were saved, for the, the, the Christians who were there already, Peter and those with him. We, we find out there are six brothers with him. It, it was a time of rejoicing for them. They, they stayed with those who had been saved, and they stayed with them some days. No doubt a, a time of, of worship and rejoicing and teaching was happening. Cornelius had some background in the things of God. We, we know that from what we read back in chapter 10, but, but he certainly needed time to learn and understand the things of God. And so because the truth is not fully known, because it is unclear what is happening, divisions begin to come about. We have the apostles and the brothers there listening, but then there was a group of them called the circumcision party. And they held that, that circumcision was required. In other words, to be a Christian in their view, you had to fully become an adherent to Jewish law. That was their understanding. Remember at this time, we, we don't understand and think of Christian as a, a distinctly different religion than Judaism. Here, Christianity is really a reformation of Judaism. These, these men and women are still going to the temple, but they're going in with a different understanding of what they're seeing. They're going in understanding that the sacrifice has already been made. They're going in understanding that, that when the, the scroll is read and the Messiah is spoken of, that it is not someone to come in the future, but they understand it's someone who has already come. But this particular party, this circumcision party, believed that, that anyone who was going to come into faith would have to go through the entire process. If a Gentile was going to become a Christian, he would need to become a Jew. He would need to follow through with circumcision. He would need to follow all of the ceremonial laws. He would need to eat certain foods and abstain from other foods. This was their understanding and belief. Why? Because the truth wasn't fully known. They had beliefs that did not line up with what was true. They, they were understanding that, that this faith that had come, this Messiah who had come, Jesus, was, was coming for the Jewish people. Now they had missed the reality of some pretty important points in the Old Testament. Points where God had talked about His plan being not only for the Jewish people, but also for the Gentile people. We had seen that in the calling of Abraham. He, he was told that all the nations were going to be blessed, not just a few. Or from Isaiah 49.6, the Bible says this, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations. 
that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Not just one people, but God's plan, God's movement, God's work was for all people. His, his, his sacrifice, the gift that we are given because of the, the shed blood of Christ on the cross, is a redemptive work for all people everywhere, for all nations and all tribes and all tongues, not simply for one. And friends, that's great news for us this morning because it wouldn't have been ours. We, we sometimes think about that. This, this really problematic view that some people have about America you know, being, being the new part of God's plan. You know, he, he did away with some of those old parts with Israel, and now he's, he's doing that with us. It's, here's the reality. If God had not sent Jesus to give his life for the Gentiles, we're out of luck. We're lost. We have no hope. But this moment... This moment that takes place, this, this moment that some have referred to as the, the Gentile Pentecost. Remember on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when, when God saved all of these Jewish people who had gathered together from all around the world. Here we have that moment happen for the Gentiles, where God sends His Spirit upon the Gentiles for the first time. Even the ones we have encountered before, they, they had made some connection. But here you have people who had made no connection. They were Gentiles, completely Gentiles. And they have come to faith in Christ. But this circumcision party criticizes him. They say, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. This is something that is off limits for a Jewish man to do. These are, these are men you have went to who have not converted to Judaism. They have not been circumcised. And so they, you should not have eat with them. You know the rules. You know the policies. You know the procedures. You should not have done this. Why did a division arise at a time when things should have been about joy and celebration? The truth was not clear. They didn't know the whole story. They didn't know what was going on. They hadn't heard what had happened in Caesarea. They had not heard what had happened in Joppa. They had not heard about Peter's vision. They had not heard about his encounter with these Gentiles. They had not heard about the Spirit of God falling upon them in the way that it did. Friends, we need to understand that when the truth is not clear, divisions will always arise. It will arise in your family. It will arise in the church. It arises in your relationships. When the truth is not clear, when what is true is not clear, we will see constantly the mess that we encounter in our society today. Look at how divided things are. Look at how wildly people are acting. Look at the, the institutions that have stood for hundreds and thousands of years for all of human history and are now torn down. Controversial. Friends, we're, we're to the point, 
in, in the, the history of our culture where a term like even marriage is unclear to many people. It's not been the case at any other point. It's not been the case at any other point in history. But it has become so now. Why? Because the truth has been obscured. Friends, who would have thought that 20 years ago when you go to fill out a form, there would be more boxes than male and female? And yet now, depending on how progressive a company is, there may be dozens. What has happened? The truth has become unclear. And the only thing that can happen when the truth is unclear is division. What does Peter do in response then? He tells them a story. He tells them an important story. Why? Because when the truth is unclear, those who hold to the truth must share it. When the truth is unclear, those who hold to the truth must share it. And you notice, like last week, we're using a definite article again. Because we are to the point where a truth has become standard lingo. Or the worst one of all is my truth. You hear it all the time now. You turn on the television, somebody's doing an interview. Well, let me tell you my truth. I don't know what that means, I'll be honest with you. There is truth and there is lies. There is truth and there is false. There is truth and there is untruth. And when we know the truth, and again, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if we know Jesus, we know the truth. And so when the truth is unclear, we who know the truth, anyone who knows the truth has a responsibility to share it. Peter could have just argued with these guys and said, well, you don't understand. Or he could have said, well, my truth is, I think it's okay. That was not going to be satisfactory. That was not going to work for them. Because what they are doing, their criticism is not coming from just because they're mean people. Their, their criticism there is not coming because, you know, they're just they're a bunch of jerks. Remember, these are believers. These are followers of Christ. These are fellow apostles who have walked with Jesus. But they didn't know the truth of what had happened. And so Peter, because he knows the truth, he shares the truth. What was the truth? Well, he was praying, and God sent him this vision. He lays it out in verse 5, verse 6, verse 7. He's praying, and this is how God speaks with him. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10. He's praying, and God sends him this vision that declares to him that he has deemed these things which were once considered unclean, which were once considered very common. He has declared them clean. He has declared them worthy of salvation. 
Cornelius is also praying, we find out. And God is speaking to both of them, and both of them obey God. The Spirit guides, and then the Spirit saved them. Peter's clear to make sure they understand. These things have happened in front of many witnesses. Verse 12. These six brothers accompanied me. Peter's saying, listen, this wasn't just me going off the deep end. This wasn't just me going off the rails and and trying to do my own thing. Because we know Peter's been kind of a rebellious guy a few times, right? I mean, he's he's been the rebel. He's been the one to stand up and be bold and make, make big statements and then often have to back away from them because he didn't really know what he was saying. Peter says, that didn't happen this time. These six brothers went with me. These six brothers that are right here, you can talk to them. You can bring them up here, let them talk next. They saw what happened. They were also witnesses to the truth. When the truth is unclear, you've got to be sharing it. In fact, he goes on by verse 17 to say, God's work cannot be hindered. He said, I saw all of this. I went to to, uh, Caesarea. We went in with them, and then the Spirit fell upon them, verse 15, just as on us at the beginning. He's he's telling them what what we saw in Acts chapter 2 What we witnessed in Acts chapter 2, what happened to us in Acts chapter 2, happened to these men here in Acts chapter 10. The Holy Spirit fell upon them. And so he says in verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? He wants to make sure that these men know the truth of what happened. Now, if we're clear and honest, this doesn't solve all the problems. It will temporarily. I've already read it. You've seen it in verse 18. There's a, a temporary rejoicing. But it doesn't solve all the problems. Them hearing the truth one time doesn't fix all of the doubts. It doesn't fix all of the preconceived notions that they have in their head about what should be and what should not be. It doesn't change everything at once when they hear the truth. But it makes an extraordinary difference. And regardless of what it did to them and how it changed them and how it transformed them, Peter had the responsibility to tell them what was true. Because their first instinct is to reject what God has done. Their first instinct is to say, God did not do this. We don't believe it. We don't think it happened. But Peter had the responsibility and took the responsibility to tell them what was true. Friends, we find ourselves at a pivotal moment in history. Talking about the coronavirus earlier, pivotal moment in our country's history. A lot of things will be different after this. For the church, we are at a pivotal moment in history. If we will not be people of the truth, 
the truth will continue to be erased. There's a continual movement. And I'm not talking about the conspiracy theories about how you're going to pick up 5G really well when you get the virus or you're going to turn into a zombie, all that. I'm talking about the reality of where we are is there is a concerted effort in our society to rewrite what is true. And it is not an effort to move people back closer to what God has said is good for humanity. The effort is consistently and constantly to move away from what God has said. And as the president of, of Southern Seminary said in his book on this subject, we cannot be silent. God is not silent. And the church cannot be silent. This is a, a momentous occasion in Scripture that the gospel would go to those who were outside of the people of Israel. That the good news, that the Messiah had come not only for the people of Israel, but for all nations. A pivotal, momentous moment. And in that moment where it could have been stopped, where it could have ended, where the church could have said, no, no one else is going to go share with them. No one else should go talk to the Gentiles. No one else should go and baptize them. No one else should go and fellowship with them. Peter says, let me tell you the truth. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what happens. He does so in an orderly way, telling them the whole story of what God has done on His journey. And friends, I want to tell you, we are at that same type of moment. If we give in to what the world has said, the truth will disappear from our society. The textbooks and history books and law books will all be written by people who do not know God and give in to whatever whim comes about today. It is quickly happening. It has been happening. And as we come to this moment, if we, and I'm talking about we as First Baptist Eichard, our few number on this corner of the highway, if we give in, Friends, there's no hope. Although we might look and realize that if we give in, the Lord will just use the rocks to cry out in our place. If our sister churches around us, where too often we look at as competition, if they give in, friends, all is lost. We've seen church after church that has just given in. Because they're concerned about either filling up the pews or they're concerned about being friends with the world or whatever they're concerned about and they have given in to what the world demands. But the reality is that when the truth is unclear, and friends, we live in a time when it is most unclear, we have a responsibility to stand up and share the truth. What happens when Peter does this? When they heard 
these words, they fell silent. The apostles and the brothers who we saw in verses 1 through 3, the, the party of the circumcision, when they heard these things, they fell silent. Their criticisms stopped when they heard the truth. And the Bible tells us that they glorified God. Do you want to know the power of the truth? The power of the truth brings about the glory of God. When the truth is known, unity is restored and glory is given to God. They glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And those things cannot be separated out. The tragic thing about where we are in the church and in society is that we have begun to believe the lie that to love someone, you must tolerate and accept and welcome the sin that they live in. Friends, that's a lie that leads people daily straight to a place called hell, separated from God forever. We don't really love people if we don't call them to repentance. I wouldn't really love you if I did not call you to repent of your sin. You, you might think that I love you. You, you might think that, I, that I, I really love you a lot if I, if I never did anything that, that you know, said anything that made you feel a little uncomfortable, a little like you might be on the wrong track. What our society has done is exactly that. To, to truly love someone, you must tolerate them and welcome them and affirm the things that they're doing. Whatever it is, whatever immorality it is, whatever sin it is, whatever greed it is, You've got to accept it and, and welcome it and applaud it. The sad reality is that it's only the truth that leads to life. It's not a lie. A lie would never lead to life. That girl this morning that thinks that she's really a man and that she should destroy her life and her body to become a man is being told by almost every voice around her that what she wants to do is good, welcomed, maybe better than what she might do otherwise. My friends, that decision will never lead her to life. That lie can only lead her to destruction. That man today who's obsessed with greed so much that he's, he's gambling his life away. He, he's gambling his, his, his money away. He's gambling his, his relationships away. Because he's always after the next thing. And the world is behind him saying, do that. Roll the dice one more time. Place one more bet. Take one more risk. The world is behind him applauding and celebrating that. But friends, that lie will only lead him to destruction. God had granted the Gentiles repentance that leads to life, and that was fully the truth. 
100% the truth. And Peter, at this pivotal moment, he stands up and he proclaims to them the truth. And there is much rejoicing and celebration. This was not an easy road for Peter. Peter would fall back into the trap. In Galatians 2, Paul gets on to Peter because Peter had separated himself and, and went and he, he hung out with the Judaizers, the, the party of the circumcision again. In Acts 15, the, the church council will meet. They'll meet and have to decide, what, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about all these Gentiles who are being saved? Much like the church that begins to have a lot of kids running around, and that requires a lot of work. Or, or in churches that I've heard about, that they start to do a ministry in a certain community, and now they've got a bunch of old white people and a bunch of black kids showing up on Sunday mornings, and they don't know what to do about it. And too often they've made the mistake. They've done the wrong thing. They've let sin come out because they've, they've asked, well, should these people be in our church? This is an ugly problem, and it will come back again. And yet the only thing that ultimately prevails is the truth. The truth of what God has done is the only thing that ultimately fixes and saves the church. The truth is the only thing that causes the church to prevail time and time again. And so I want to challenge you with this question this morning. Do you hold fast to the truth? Do you hold fast to this old, old story? This truth, this message, this gospel that has been delivered once. It will not come again. It has been delivered once to us, the church. We are entrusted with it. And we have been called to take it into a world that is lost and dying. And if we do not take it, who's going to? If we don't take the truth to the world, who's going to? Is it going to be the church down the street? Are you going to entrust it to them? Or are we going to let our, our politicians set policy? And listen, if the answer is no now, it better have been no six months ago. I know I'm not going to get any amens, but I don't expect that. But I just hope that's sinking into you. If you're really worried about the direction of the country today, I hope you were six months ago. Because about these things, it's not changed. If we're just real, it's not changed. We have the truth. The truth has set us free. Will we hold fast to it when it is quickly disappearing in the world around us? I want to challenge you this morning. Hold fast to the truth that God has given us. When you go from this place, speak the truth. Speak it in love. Speak it in discernment. But speak the truth to those around you. Take every opportunity to share the love of Christ with those who are around you. Because friends, they're not experiencing the love of Christ anywhere else. It's going to quickly be that the places where you work, in the communities you live, you will be the only person that holds to God's truth. 
And never forget this. No matter the direction the world goes in, the truth always prevails. No matter the direction the world goes in, no matter the direction of the world, no matter what happens around us, the truth in the end will prevail. If God removes His hand from this country and this nation and it all falls apart and it's all burned down, His truth will prevail. There are places all over the world where the gospel is preached much better than it's preached in our country. There are countries where there are thousands and millions of faithful believers who hold strong to God's truth. His truth will prevail. But why would we want to see it disappear from the place we are? Where our loved ones live. Where our children are. Where your grandchildren are. We have the truth and we must speak it because it is not being heard. Will you hold fast to the truth of God's Word? Will you speak it to a world that is broken and desperately needs to hear what God has said? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You love us and care for us, that You've given us hope. God, I just pray that as as we finish our time together this morning, that you would, God, you would impress upon our heart the great need that the world has to hear your truth. That when we go from this place, we will go not compromised by the world around us, not compromised by by philosophies or by politics, but God, let us go from this place standing firm on Your Word, ready to share it with those who are hurting. God, help us. Help us to be faithful in the mission You have for us, in the work You have for us as we go from this place this morning. As we pray in Christ's name, amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we have this final song. You say, Pastor, what what truth should I tell a world that is so messed up? Friends, you can tell them these things. They're simple. We're talking about them on Sunday night every week. I've talked about them for years. Friends, that God made everything. That our sin has corrupted everything. But that God loved us so much He sent His Son. That even though because things were messed up, we deserve to die, He died in our place. And that one day when all of this is gone, He is making a new heaven and a new earth and we will be with Him forever. It starts out with a lot of hope. It's messed up in the middle because we messed it up and God is going to make all things new. Now that's pretty simple and that's pretty simplified, but friends, that's the hope that we have. If we don't have hope in Christ, this, this is all wasted time. But because we have hope in Christ, it means everything. Would you commit, as we have this time of invitation, to taking that truth to somebody? Not an abstract somebody. Pray that God would impress someone on your mind. Someone who needs to hear the truth because they're struggling, they're hurting, they're uncertain. 
whether it's COVID or whether it's society or whether it's something in their family, they, they are hopeless, but you have hope for them. Pray that God would give you the opportunity. He would make the opportunity and he would push you into the opportunity to share that with them even today, even this week, so that they could know that God loves them and God desperately wants to give them hope. Would you pray that? we sing this song this morning. Hungry I come to you for I know you satisfy I am empty but I know your love does not run dry so I wait for you. I wait for you. I'm falling on my knees, offering all of me. Jesus, your
I just want to thank you for coming to worship. I just want to encourage you that as you go, that the truth would be in your heart. Friends, it's just, it's mind-boggling to look around and see where we are. It's not something that we could have imagined, and yet God has known it all. And He has brought us here for such a time as this. It's where we find out who we are. Are we His? Or do we belong to the world around us? Are we His disciples or are we the world's disciples? Are we His ambassadors or are we going along with everyone else? This is where we make our stand. This is where we decide. And that falls on the truth. And so as we go, let us be people of the truth, listening to God, following His Word, and knowing that He has great things ahead for us.